You know what time it is. Dream, plan, execute, episode 3. This is your opportunity to learn from other individuals working on their entrepreneurial and project management dreams and how they implement their dream, plan, and execute. In this podcast, we'll explore the metaphysics of dreaming and how to follow and listen to your intuition. We'll explore strategies from project management such as planning, writing down goals, scheduling, and budgeting. Then we'll move to execution. We'll explore topics such as operational efficiency, mental toughness, grit, and using an athletic mindset. I'm your host, Ramon Parchment. Stay tuned and enjoy the episode. All right, Ramon, you hearing me? Amari, how are you doing? Yo, I'm doing good, man. Thanks for inviting me on. Absolutely, absolutely. Here at the Dream Plan Execute podcast, I like to invite guests that I myself admire their ability to dream, plan, and execute. And I would like the guests to get the opportunity to meet you guys, meet the person, and how they go about their doing their execution. So let's in, let's uh, introduce yourself, Omari. Uh, give us an opportunity to learn who Omari is, uh, what's your dream, the ways you go about planning and executing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for starters, I was thinking back on how I'm going to do this introduction. Thought I'd talk a little bit about how we know each other, and yeah. I realized like we we went to high high school together in Jamaica. And for listeners who are not aware, Jamaica high school starts at grade seven. Right. We've known each other for like almost twenty years because I started high school when I was ten, and we were in the same class my first year of high school, and now. 30. So, yeah, years. Been, been a run. And I think, we, you know, going back to those high school days, I mean, every portion of that um, journey, there's always a new challenge, right? Like at one point it was CXC, then it was Cape, um, taking Cape Mats, um, our journey to New York, and then, you know, going through school. Um, but just for the audience, what do you study in school? Um, when you got to college, yeah, I when I when I came to New York, I started at a community college, and I did an associate degree in mathematics. And then after I finished my associate, I transferred to a four-year college, and I did an undergrad. It was a double major in um, statistics and economics, and then I did a master's degree in economics at that same school. No, that's amazing. I mean, it sounds like you did a lot of um, mathematics and uh, I had to deal with a lot of adversity because you, you think about it, it's it's not an easy degree um, taking on um, analytics, right, as a journey. And currently, right now, you work in the field of data science. You do um, data analysis, right? Correct? Yeah. 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 So let, let's talk about the dream. Now, now we've gotten through this third. 30-year run. You're back in high school. Um, I was sitting in the technical drawing department thinking about becoming an engineer. And, you know, at that time when we, when we, um, when you sit in the technical drawing department, it's all just a dream. It's an idea. You know, you want to be an engineer or an architect. And 
the first delineated step is getting through CXC, right? You get through CXC, the next step is getting through CAPE, mathematics, right? And that was your formidable before at the moment. Then doing SATs, going to college, working while being in college, now you're at this threshold. Basically, how we've gotten here is dreaming 15 years into the future when we're in high school. So now that we are at this portion in our life where we are, you know, around our 30s, now the next big monumental task is dreaming about the next 15 years and then also figuring out the steps to get to that goal without the structure of school being behind your back. So what's your overarching dream or goal that you're, you're trying to accomplish? Yeah, I mean, I mean, we've spoken about this you know, a few times, you know, privately. But I guess for me, the dream is you know financial independence or like financial freedom. And the idea is that I want to get to a point where my financial obligations have like very minimal control over my life. Like right now, I I have a house, I have a mortgage, I have whatever health insurance, all these things that I need to pay. So I can't just voluntarily choose to stop working or choose to do like a lower paying job because of these obligations that require me to earn a certain amount of money. And likewise, you know, my mom is getting older. Her health is not as good. And, you know, I've been financially supporting her and it's getting to the point where, you know, as I look forward to potentially starting my own family, how do I balance that burden of like taking care of older parents while potentially taking care of a wife and maybe even children? So I just want to get to the point where those things don't feel like a burden, where I'm financially secure that if my mom needs something, if my wife needs something, if my kids need something, I can write a check and not blink. And that's, I think, I think that's an amazing goal to have because, you know, the reason why we, we've stayed such good friends over the years, obviously you're an amazing person. Um, but ultimately we do have very similar goals. I, I too, I feel the, you know, the burden, I wouldn't say a burden, but the obligation to make sure that my family is okay, right? And I think as men, um, that's something that's innate inside you um, to want to take on responsibility of making sure the family unit or the friend unit is okay. And, um, you know, they're just, you know, you we reach this point in our life, you know, everyone said, go to school. You went to school, you're doing it, you got to the dream, you got the degree, you got the job and know uh, life really kicks in and you have all these different bill obligations and still want to have self-fulfillment in your life. So obviously you want to, you know, generate more income to be able to really live the life that you see yourself having. So what are the, I would say, things you plan on doing to be able to execute this goal of financial freedom? Yeah. I mean, like the like kind of like going back to that, that analogy of like beating school and having a structured environment. Part of that structure is somebody gives you a roadmap with milestones that you have to achieve and you have short, medium and long term goals. You know, like when you're in let's say you're in grade ten, you know, well you have this math test coming up that you need to study for and pass. If you get a good grade, you know, maybe they give you a star, maybe they put your name on the board, but there is like a short even the long term goal is graduate high school. You know, short-term goal is like pass this math test, and then that, and then you have like that that payoff or that gratification of like feeling good. You know, maybe you get acknowledged in some way. So when it comes to like 
executing or dreaming about a life plan, you need to give yourself that structure because, you know, like you mentioned, you no longer have school or college providing a structure for you. So now you have to do that research and plan that structure for yourself. It short, medium and long term goals that are achievable with milestones that you can sort of kick back, reflect on it, reflect on your progress and enjoy making that journey. Because if you just set like super long term five year, 10 year goals, and you only focus on that 10-year goal, it's going to be a long time working towards that goal. And then at that point, it starts to feel like a grind. And if it feels mm. like a grind, it becomes harder to motivate yourself. It becomes to feel like work and like overly like laborious. So I find that having short and medium-term goals that are aligned with that long-term goal helps you to stay mm. motivated and execute that plan. You know, it's it's it's... Very impressive you say that because you say a lot of things in that statement, which is setting different goals along the way. I consider it, um, uh, especially in project management, you have your milestones, like you said, and then you have your delineated activities you do week to week. We do a two-week look ahead for all the trades on the job site. And it's kind of, okay, we know we want to get in six months, we want to get the building built. But here are the two-week things we need to focus on right now to get to that long-term goal. Um, and, it, you know, the structure of school is gone, right? Um, and then, no, you, you have to provide that structure for yourself. Um, what do you think is one of your greatest strengths as it pertains to a natural ability or something that you've worked on over time that um, assists you in achieving these goals? I would say, I guess like a natural strength strength of mine has always been like delayed sort of gratification. Mm -hmm. And I understand that in order to achieve a goal, there has to be like short-term sacrifices. Mm -hmm. And I think for some people, it comes easier than others. But I think that is crucial in order to execute anything. Because in life, you always have trade-offs. Like if you're working on something, it means you're not out hanging with your friends. You're not hanging out with your your significant other. You're not watching TV or watching sports or whatever. They're trade-offs. And the idea is like, how much of a trade-off am I willing to tolerate? Can I forego these things in order to achieve a goal? And I think part of it is, it's like a learned behavior in a sense as well. Because part of it is innate, other part of it becomes learned. Because once you do it and you see how effective it is, it becomes easier to do it like subsequent times. I think so. I was I was watching funny story. I was watching Lex um being Lex on um Doctor Human's podcast, and uh, it's funny. Doctor Human asked him at the end of the podcast, "What would be your advice to the younger self?" And he was like, "Really get in tune with going very deep in one specific area and making the sacrifice because life will." You know, we want to be rounded, obviously, and have a balanced life. But when you're going after a new goal or something that you haven't done, it requires a sacrifice of everything else anywhere else to kind of focus the time and effort into that specific goal, right? And um, and he also mentioned, like, you know, it's it's hard to have work-life balance at that moment. Like, you will eventually have it. But at this moment, it's just really dialing in and focused on getting this done. 
And it requires a sacrifice. And I think that's just innate in even though it's the metaphysics of life, because I think metaphysics and physics are parallel to each other. The law of sacrifice is very similar to um, what you would say, transforming energy, energies and created or destroyed it just moves from one form to the next. So you spending the lack of time you're spending somewhere else and you're focusing your attention to this, you're transmuting that time and effort into the goal that you're trying to achieve. And so, you know, that was very big for you to um, mention because it's very important that, you know, when we're going after these new goals, we recognize that things, you you just, the, the work-life balance might be out of whack for that moment just when you're trying to achieve those goals. Um, I think personally, one of your greatest strengths, knowing you as a friend, uh, is your ability to get very detailed and focused on uh, on a point where most people wouldn't even get there. Like they'll get a general idea of how things work, but um, you'll go that extra step to learn exactly how it works, right? And um, I think that and your your ability to, you know, like not to see the long term goal while having that detail oriented mind has made you achieve many things that um, I, you know, I appreciate about you. Um, one thing I wanted to go over in, in general is like real estate tips because you say you have a mortgage. I'm sure, you, you know, everyone's feeling the crunch in our year group and in our generation of buying a home. So you've gone through that, you know, that month before. What tips could you give for individuals right now in, 2023 looking to buy a home. Yeah. I mean, that is, yeah, it's definitely tough because I mean, the market, like I'm currently in the market as well, trying to purchase my, my second property. And I've seen this market like radically shift in the last two months where, um, you know, last year, 2022 interest rates were going up like crazy. You know, at one point people were talking about mortgage rates could hit 10% before the end of the year. And I think at the highest point, they were like seven, seven and a half percent. And people were afraid to buy. Like, like if, you, if you qualified for a mortgage, like the amount of like down payment you would need to put down in order to keep that, that debt to income ratio, because the higher the interest rate, the larger the payment is going to be relative to your income. So it forces you to put down a larger down payment in order to maintain like, cause they have guidelines for debt to income ratios. You can't just take out a mortgage for any amount. It has to fall within guidelines set by Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. But now that the market is kind of shifting and rates are coming down, people are coming back to buy. And it's definitely a sense of like FOMO because like, it's almost like the calm before the storm, essentially. You know, because right. we both grew up in Jamaica. We had like hurricanes and you hear like the eye of the storm. And right. the storm is at the center of the hurricane. So first you get hit with a lot of rain and a lot of winds. And it gets very calm. And then once the center passes over and you pass over that eye, then it gets crazy again. Right. You're like, that's where we're at now. Because interest rates have kind of calmed down and kind of come back lower. So I guess my first tips is like, if you have the opportunity to buy a house in terms of like finances, down payment, and you have like a long-term horizon, I think now is a great time to buy. Mm. in the sense that once because i realized that housing prices have not even though rates were going up like crazy housing prices 
general, at least in the Northeast, because let me be a bit more specific. So in New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, these types of areas, watching the market for over a year, I've seen rates gone up and prices have remained kind of stable as mm. opposed to, you know, maybe places in the South, like Atlanta, Austin, wherever, where prices came down a bit. But if you're trying to buy in this area, I think right now interest rates have come down a bit. And I think it's a good time to get into the market if you're willing to hold it long term. Um, I don't know what the future holds, but that'd be like my first tip. Like if you have the ability to do it now, I would say do it now. And in terms of like actual real estate tips, like looking at houses and all of that, I would say it's very different than like renting a house or renting an apartment. Like when you go to rent an apartment, you're going to see the nice kitchen, the nice bathroom, and it's going to like make you think, oh, it's a nice apartment. Let me rent it. But now whenever I see nice kitchen and nice bathroom, I think, where are the permits? You know, because a lot of people do unpermitted work. And then when you, when, you, when you move in and that nice kitchen or that nice bathroom starts having plumbing issues and you have to go behind the wall and look at the pipes, if the work is not done up to code, it's a major nightmare. So that's also something to keep in mind that you're not just looking at, you're not just, when you're buying a house, don't think about how it looks today. Think about the quality of the work that went into it. Because later on, if there's any issues, you, you're on the hook for it as opposed to a landlord. That's a big tip because, um, you know, you go into a home, you're looking at the, the updates. It looks nice, right? Look, everything looks great. And if it, you know, you, even if it doesn't look great, how do you know that the work that was done in that home was permitted? That's a big tip. So uh, going through the experience that you have, um, how do you go about finding out? You're looking at a property, it looks decent. How do you go about finding out if the work done inside the property was permitted? Well, usually you can start off by asking the seller. Like if the seller mm -hmm. is the one who did the work, they should know if it was permitted. And mm -hmm. sometimes they can lie to you or they can try to delay it because technically they're not under any legal obligation to be truthful to you. It's up to you as a buyer to do your due diligence. Right. So I actually had a situation where I put an offer on a property, like literally a couple of weeks ago that looked really nice. And I was thinking this could be like the greatest house hack ever. And then what I did was that I went on to normally every city, at least in Jersey city, I can't speak for every state, but at least in New Jersey, every city has a site where you can go and look at the tax records for the house. And the tax records will tell you how many bedrooms and how many bathrooms does, does, does the city acknowledge the house to like legally have. So the house that I looked at had five bedrooms and one bathroom. No, the house that I looked at was listed as like seven bedrooms and three bathrooms. Then when I looked at the tax records, it says five bedrooms, one bathroom. Mm. So you see that discrepancy. Now you're realizing that, hold on, something's not right here. Because according to the city, this house has an extra two bedrooms and an extra two bathrooms that it shouldn't have. So I went back to the seller and I said, hey, there's a discrepancy with the tax records. Was the work that you did? Because the house looked very recently renovated. I asked him, was the work that you did permitted? He said, yes. That's what, that's what he told me. So again, the city of Jersey City has a website where you can go and look at a permit history for every house that's within the city. So I checked the permit history and I realized that there were no permits pulled in like the last five years. So all the renovations that he did were unpermitted, even though he was telling me that it was permitted. And we asked him, can he provide permits? 
And instead, he, he declined to provide any sort of like evidence that work was permitted. So I think that's part of the due diligence process. Like if you're if your city that you're buying in, normally the city office has some tax records. For some cities, it might be online. But for others, you might have to go in person. You might have to call and they mail it to you. But you have to talk to your local like tax assessor and get records for the house to find out whether or not the work that was done to it was permitted. Mm, that's a big key right there because I don't necessarily think, um, unless you're working with a really good real estate agent, that people have that delineated steps of like how you would go about. Do you read books? They always say, do you do diligence? You watch videos online and say, do you do diligence? It's a very buzzword type of deal. But what I want to get into is the, the, the details of what due diligence means. So when you go into a home over and you're looking for it as an investment property, what are the things you're looking at in the, um, in the construction of the home or the things inside the home? Yeah. So for me, I'm not, an, not a structural engineer or have any real expertise in like critiquing the construction of the home. But right. what I can tell from like initial search, I'm looking for the age of very key um, appliances and like infrastructure. So the age of the roof is one thing I always want to know about because the age of the roof is affects your ability to get insurance and it can cause you to have like a higher insurance rate. So if mm-hmm. you're trying to do a cash flow based on a certain monthly payment, if that roof is too old, your insurance will be a lot higher and it will inflate your monthly payment because you have to pay that insurance premium every month. So right. age of the roof is the number one thing that I look for. Next thing I look for is like the age of like, appliances like the the boiler or the furnace the hot water tank or if they have like a deck which is very common in jersey city like you can look at the age of the deck and see if there's anything like rotting underneath sometimes you'll see like the joist hangers are kind of rusty because you've been you know in new jersey windows for like 10 years and no one's ever changed them so looking at the age of like structures are usually what i go to and then if I see anything that looks a little bit too new, I start looking at tax records to see if there's any permits pulled. Another thing that I've, I've also had to do is I look at flood zones because if the house is in a zone, you'll have to get flood insurance, which can be somewhat pricey and it can mess up your cash flow if you're trying to view it as like an investment property because not that's an additional cost you have to pay every month. So that's sort of, those are like initial things that I look at. And the rest of it, I get a home inspector. So you should always do this before you purchase any real estate property. You get a licensed and insured home inspector who will come and give you a more thorough breakdown. And home inspectors, they're doing a visual inspection because they can't like physically open the walls or look at anything. So even a home inspector is not perfect. And there's just an element of risk because there's some parts of the home that you can never know because it, right. it's behind the walls. But once you do that due diligence and you're comfortable with the risk, then you can decide whether or not you want to put an offer on the house. Oh, that's that's a so when you do that, right? Now you've done your due diligence. Um, is it something you write down on paper? Do you use an Excel sheet to write out what you think your net cash flow is going to be? Like, how do you go about putting all that information into um, an executable means? So I think this is going to be specific to each person. Definitely a spreadsheet is probably helpful to most people. For me, I've always had really good memory, like shocking mm-hmm. good memory, so I don't write down a lot of things. 
And I remember even in college, there were classes where I never had a notebook. I just go to class and pay attention and I never wrote anything. But I know it's a very neat thing, but if, if spreadsheets, if you're like a visual person, you can see the numbers on a sheet, you should right. never do that. I can run these calculations in my head and that works for me. That's just my problem. Well, I mean, I think that's the honest truth. And I've, I've seen, I've seen you do it before. Um, and that obviously it, it makes sense why you're in um, statistics and data analysis, right? Like numbers, running numbers um, is very um, comfortable for you. For other persons, it might be helpful for them to use an Excel sheet or, you know, write it down and delineate it. So I'm guessing that's also how you would go about doing your goal setting to your, your model. Because you, you're a driven person and you've executed excellently. It's not something, it's very rare that you speak about something and you don't do it or working on it. So for specific to you, do you find yourself writing out goals or do you just have it in your head? Um, I think I have them in my head and I speak it into existence in a way where I tell mm-hmm. other people what I'm doing and they hold me accountable in, in a sense. Um, yeah. I really don't write a lot. It's just something that I've never found a need to do. Even mm. like a couple months ago, I was trying to like do a written budget and I was like, I, I already know all my expenses in my head and I meticulously track every purchase I make. So I'm like, why am I writing this budget when I can literally recite it off the top of my head? So I gave right. up on that after like literally after one month, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not writing. I have a budget in my head that I follow. But I'm like, I'm right. not writing this down because it's just not the best use of my time. But I find out I normally tell people and then, mm. you know, she leads me to like kind of like a slight tangible, like having a group of friends who are on the same path as you and you hold each other accountable. So if I say to a friend, like, Hey, I'm going to save up some money and, you know, put a down payment on a house, like a couple months later, they might fall by, Hey, how's that going? And now you don't want to feel like a fool by saying like, Hey, well, actually I took that money and I gambled it or I bought a trip to whatever Europe, you know? So the, right. that sort of accountability from friends is sort of how I keep myself like on track to like execute goals and, and plan just verbally saying it and knowing that they will follow up with me. And I know that I can't like, like, I don't want to embarrass myself. And you know, that's a great motivator too. Um, it's a very moti- um, great motivational tool because Olympic athletes use the same. Everyone sees athletes, um, executing at the highest level but prior to that is going to training and you know your coach getting um on your on you for coming to training late or your other peers saying to you like yo what's going on like get it together you know we see you're slipping we see that you're not um doing what needs to be done to get to the goal that you're trying to get to and having that group um that group keeping you accountable is important and that's why picking your your group um is very important even as a project manager one of the biggest tasks as a project manager is picking the right trades picking the right electrician picking the right promo picking the right uh iron worker because your trades build a job and getting a tough trade that's not paying attention to the details, not working with the team. No, you have to get in there and do the extra work to kind of drag them across the finishing line, right? So that's important. Uh, and I and I'm very much similar in that regard. If I'm going to do something, I always 
tell persons this is what I'm going to do. And knowing that I've said it and I, I've, I've speaking into being, I always use that now as a, a goal. Like I can't say the thing and not do it. Yeah, you know, uh, I always focus on finishing. I said it. No, I have to commit to finishing this because I said that this is what I'm going to do. And um, when you do accomplish it, and a person is like, "Well, you said you're going to do it, and you did it," it gives you more motivation to move on to the next task. What's the next task that I'm going to say and do? And it becomes part of your habit because habit is repetition, right? Yeah. Um, speaking of habit, everyone has, you know, difficulty dealing with those low moments, low energy moments. You know, we're all, you know, grinding and working towards the goal. But, you know, there are moments where, you know, you just do not feel like doing anything or it's just not working the way you want it to work. How do you stay motivated and um, continue through those low moments? Yeah, I've definitely struggled with that myself. I think part of it comes down to what I think are two important things. One is like you mentioned grind, like not making it feel like a grind. Mm-hmm. If it feels like a grind, then it becomes harder to like to stay motivated because like mm-hmm. you're basically just working without any sort of payoff. So mm-hmm. proper sequencing is what I think is really important in terms of like short and medium and long term goals. And if you're hitting your short-term goals, you're getting like immediate gratification of, of completing something. I think that immediate gratification provides energy to move on to the next thing. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, if you're building a house and, and, and you, tell, you tell your laborers, you only get paid when the house is fully built. Like they might work for a week or two. Then they're like, nah, I'm not seeing any paycheck come in. I'm not doing any more work. You know, you right. got to pay them every week or every two weeks in order to keep them motivated to continue to build this house. Likewise, yeah. you need to find a way to give yourself short-term payouts that keep you motivated and give you energy to move on to the next goal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's key. Um, I, I consider it like a dopamine ladder. Can you get small amounts of dopamine? Every time you accomplish a goal, regardless of it's long or short. So mm-hmm. um, for me, that could be ensuring that I work out. It could be, um, you know, whatever I told myself I was going to do today, um, make the effort to do it that day. Um, and even if it means, like, if I'm starting something new, it could be the smallest task. Right now I'm studying for my my architectural engineering license, right? Mm-hmm. and I have the book. The first thing, the first goal for that first day was open the book. (laughs) That means for me to open the book, I need to put the book in my bag. When I get a free time at work, I need to take the book out my bag and just open it. Just look at it. Just, and that was the goal for the day, right? Then I was like, all right, the next goal is I'm going to do a question a day. Regardless of what, I'm going to try and do a question a day. Right now, I'm doing like three, four questions a day, but the minimum was doing a question a day. But I had to get the the engine going to want to do it, right? And so the first step was just put the book inside your bag, you know? And so sometimes it seems like these minuscule um, goals that don't even think like, of course I can put the book. I make the goals so minuscule sometimes, like, I almost feel like, yeah, of course I can do that. If I don't do that, something's wrong with me. So I, I put it in the book bag. I set a reminder on my phone just in case I will forget because, you know, the activities in the day. 
if I miss it that day, it becomes a goal for the next day. Open the book, look at it, look at the questions. And it was really um, eye-opening for me because sometimes small things become very big things, right? So, I, you know, I have a question that I'm not quite confident with the answer or how you go about getting the answer. It was an electrical question. I went to my electrical foreman on site and it was now three of the licensed electricians who built Viking Stadium, you know, mm-hmm. building the data center. And they're like, yeah, this is what you need. You know, here's the code book, you know, and I got so much more information than I would have if I didn't make the small goal of bringing the book to work, right? Now I brought the book to work. Now I'm asking my electrician. Now my electrician and his um, laborers are now opening the code book, going through the code book with me, showing me how you would go about reading it and how you would go about delineating the answer to that. All that came out of making that smaller goal of bringing the book to work, right? So um, I think what, to your point, is just uh, making those smaller goals. Because before I got, we got to this journey of being, you know, in our 30s and being accomplished work-wise, the, the goal, the dream, what we were doing now was the dream, Right. So, you know, breaking it out, the dream is just a milestone and the goals are the things you do to get to the dream and it becomes what you do as a living. Um, so what do you do for fun or more? Like, you know, typically, like what, what brings you self-fulfillment outside of um, doing real estate and work? Yeah, I would say I'm really big soccer fan i love watching like european soccer the premier league the spanish league the german league i, I watch all of them so that's mm. definitely uh definitely brings me a lot of joy because i support arsenal which is an english team and they're doing really well so that, that i was looking forward to like watching them play and like last week they beat manchester united which is like another really big um english team and i i lost my voice i was at home it was like it was like 9 a.m in the morning and I was screaming like a madman. I'm sure my neighbors thought like, <laughs> some like domestic violence situation going on, and, and that really made me so happy for today. So yeah, soccer is like a really big passion. Enjoy cooking and like also just hanging out with friends. Like getting caught up with a lot of my friends that you know we went to high school with. They're all in the New York metro area. We try right. to meet up every couple of weeks, hang out, you know, find out what other people are doing, see if we can help each other out one way or another, you know? No, I think that's one of the most endearing personality traits that you have, Omari, is your ability to really check in on people while we're going through our lives, right? Like, I think you're, I would consider the glue in our friendships, especially as Ardenites. You know, Ardenites, we are very talented individuals. We're very good at whatever we decide to do, we're going to do, right? I'll give Ardenites that. But as it pertains to um, staying knitted, like how uh, a high school like Casey or Calabar um, is, we're not very good at that. We tend to be like... I would, if you had to put it in terms of animals, like those schools would be lions. They stay in the pack, in the pride, pride centric. And we could be like tigers. Talented, you could climb trees, you could run around, but very um, individually focused and working on our goals. And I think one of the most endearing things about you, Omar, is your ability to remind us all as a friend group to like, hey, how are you doing? 
let's meet up, let's go out and let's hang out. And when we do do that, we, en we enjoy ourselves. I mean, it's just um, um, one of the things that I admire about you the most. Um, different than you being goal-oriented and executing efficiently, it's just nice to know that, you know, one of my friends is just that person. And we all have our parts to play in, in, in keeping the friend group tight, but you're definitely the one to give you your flaws, the glue that helps us do that. Um, ultimately, um, one of the things I wanted to get out to you is like, uh, what do you think is, it pertains to operational efficiency and inverting problems. Uh, what are the things do you think while you're going through your development and going after the goals, you do a little less of to make sure that you can get to the goal faster? Yeah, I mean, that. I think that depends on, like, the goal in question. And mm -hmm. um, I think... To, I, I don't know if I'm necessarily efficient as I am, like, sort of, like, single-minded. Like, once I mm -hmm. start focusing on something, I kind of, like, tunnel vision on it, sometimes mm -hmm. the exclusion of, like, other things. And right. um, it's definitely been a balancing act because I'm trying to get better at it. Like, right now, I'm in a, a period of my life where I'm working really hard. I have a few side hustles that I'm trying to, you know, grow right. and so forth. And I mean... I, you know, you're right. I do reach out and I do stay in contact with with friend groups, but it's not just for keeping a group together. It's also for myself, for my own sanity as well, you know? Right. Because I feel like I have a tendency to just, like, be locked away and just working on that task. And, again, it, some could see the beauty as being efficient, but mm -hmm. I think it has its drawbacks. So I, I don't know if that's something I would necessarily recommend, but I think mm -hmm. if you can find a level of, like, compromise where you're able to tunnel vision on something but at the same time you set structured breaks to you know one enjoy your life and two enjoy your relationships you know because i you know i have a girlfriend who mm -hmm. would like to see me more often than she currently does <laughs> and i also have to remember to like make time for that yeah i could work extra hours and get to that next down payment faster but i'd be pushing her away right no that's 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 keys too i mean um, being able to know when you need a break, you know, uh, and knowing when you need to, you know, recuperate and taking a day off um, the gas pedal because, you know, then you feel like you're in a rat race and it doesn't feel fun. And um, previously, one of the things that I've recognized in sports or in anything that you're doing, there's this um, 85% um, goal where if you really stay around 85% you can flow you get into flow better than if you go extremely to the ends right when you go to the end of your um your ability and you go there often you're just asking for an injury right yeah you're just asking to get burnt out you, you're asking to not feel good about what you're doing but if you get to 85% you tend to that that's really efficient way of working because you can work for a longer time and still feel good and you feeling good makes you execute better right so giving yourself that um break giving yourself that opportunity to um dewine you know relax for you it's football 
Uh, for me, I love, you know, working out. That's just my, if I, you know, running on the treadmill is one of my favorite things to do, even though it hurts. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a bigger unit than I was when I was in high school. Um, but it just, uh, I find that in those moments of running on the treadmill, that's when I, I find myself just relaxing. Um, and that's, that's important. And I appreciate the time that you took to come on the, the podcast. So, it, you know, share with us your um your media handles, your social media handles, if people want to learn more about data science and uh, executing your goals. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily have any social media handles that are like geared mm-hmm. towards like goal planning or what I do. Just my personal mm-hmm. um, Instagram, which is k a m e l underscore y a r d i e. And sometimes I might post stories about real estate or, or trading, but for the most part, it's just my day-to-day life. If anybody's interested in just figuring out what I do on a day-to-day basis. Well, we didn't get into the trading on this podcast, but that one in itself, with especially with options trading, we definitely have to invite you again because when I talk about being detail-oriented and understanding the mechanisms of options trading, the different gammas, um, I actually shared to you um, recently, Omari, um, chat with Shader's um, podcast. Yeah. And the guy was going through, he was an electrical engineer, um, similar role that we are in, and he picked up option, option trading. And they're talking about the gammas and the Greeks and everything else. And I'm following them because of our conversations that we had. <laughs> um, he's a hedge fund manager, right? You know, electrical engineer, hedge fund manager. And he's like, you know, talking about the Greeks. He's like, I don't want this to get too far out of your, your listening audience understanding. And I'm toe-to-toe with this guy. He's explaining exactly um, when you're selling options, well, how inv- implied volatility um, affects your option price and how much he can collect in premium and how much he's not focused on necessarily number of um, not uh, collecting the premium versus the number of contracts that he's buying. So he can buy less contracts if implied volatility is higher. And the, 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 the podcaster is like, okay, it sounds... Okay, that sounds good. I hope the audience is following. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm right there with you just because of the conversations we've had in the past about trading. So I'm going to invite you again for us to go and um, speak about options trading because that requires um, a sit-down in itself. But um, until then, um, have a good day, brother. It was a pleasure having you on the podcast. Again, you know, we're going to check in in the future, you know, we're setting our dreams, we're planning, and now we're in the process of executing. Keep safe, brother, right? Yeah, thanks. It's a pleasure being on, and thank you for inviting me on. And I hope that people who are listening learned a lot and happy to come back on and talk about options trading. Uh, keep safe. All right, bye. When you feel like giving up, don't. When you're thinking about giving up, don't. When it look like you ain't going to make it, keep going. When they tell you you can't, come on, man, who are they? When they tell you you're not going to make it, don't believe them, man. Don't believe them. You got to be re-
relentless. Don't give up. Don't give up. Stay in it. Stay focused. Quitting guarantees the failure. Once you quit, it rules out any chance of succeeding. The mere waking up every day, putting the next foot in front of the next foot, at least keeps you in the game. But you can choose in the midst of all of this that's going on to be happy in spite of life's challenges. See, a lot of us, because of our limited vision of ourselves, a lot of us who begin to focus on problems and enable them to overwhelm us, we begin to think that we have no options. We begin to believe that there's no way out. Well, guess what? There's always a way. Where there's a will, there's a way. We have two primary choices in life. We can either accept conditions as they exist, or we can take the responsibility to change them. See, a lot of people want to exempt themselves from taking responsibility. All they want to do is talk about the problem. Every time you see them, they'll tell you their story over and over and over and over again. No, no. You want to take responsibility for your life. I got me here. I can get me out of this. And I'm getting out. I'm not going to be a volunteer victim. I'm unstoppable. This will not get me down. You've got to make those kind of declarations to yourself. I have never met anybody who became incredibly successful in any area of their life until they had suffered and sweated and sacrificed and kept their focus and fought through tears and trials and tests. And if you have a dream and you commit to it, it will come to pass. You must have patience and engage in consistent action. We live in a world, ladies and gentlemen, where people want instant gratification. They want it right now. No, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's a system that if you work the system, it works if you work it. But make no mistake about it. It's hard. And you are the determining factor. The people that make it in this world look around for the circumstances that they want and if they can't find them, they create them. It's you that you must take personal responsibility to make it happen. It's hard. No easy is not an option. However, ladies and gentlemen, what you will discover is that it's worth it. Write down five reasons of why it is worth it for you to become a diamond, to experience that level of achievement. What is it that will give you the drive? What is it that will ignite the courage in you to get up and come back again and again and again? How is it that you would be able, what reasons that can tap in to that deep down feeling that goes to your gut, that no matter how many times you get knocked down, that you're coming back? Listen to me, this is how you do it first over six, seven years ago with no money, no human resources, no building, no funding, no support. The first thing we did was we dreamed, we wrote the dream down, we rehearsed the dream, we looked at the dream, we talked about the dream, we slept with the dream, we woke up to the dream, we wore the dream, and now boom, it's our reality. And for some of you, you stop dreaming. You dream for a week and you stop because things around you don't look good. You dream for a month, then when you get hit in the mouth, you quit and you give up. You dream for a while and when people tell you crazy, when people tell you stupid, when people tell you can never get done, you stop dreaming and you go back to knowledge. And I dare you to use your imagination. I dare you when you're broke to use your imagination. I dare you when you're rich to use your imagination. I dare you under every single circumstance, keep dreaming. Keep looking at your dream. 
Keep focusing on your dream. Keep going after the dream because that's where true success is. We've come to the end of the episode. Always remember the road to greatness is long and hard. Always focus on progress over perfection. Execute relentlessly. Like, share, and subscribe, and I'll see you soon. Keep safe.